The following lecture was delivered at the 8th Annual National Jewish Retreat, a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy the lecture and encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Abba Perlmutter, founder and spiritual leader of Shul by the Shore in Long Beach, California, is a world-renowned speaker, historian, comedian, and teacher. Rabbi Abba is known for his quick humor and penetrating insight into a vast array of topics in Jewish life and thought. He will now present a lecture entitled, Why Laughter is a Lifesaver. Why should we be any different than the people in the Bible? Everything has a source in the Bible. When the Jewish people left Egypt, they were traveling in the desert. What was their purpose of leaving Egypt? Their purpose of leaving Egypt was, for one thing, to receive the Torah and to enter into the land of Israel. That was it. It's a very simple program. Take them out of Egypt, get them to the mountain, give them the Torah. From the Torah, a few days later, we're at the border of Israel and we're in there. Okay, the plan is working well, a few bumps and roads along the way, but the plan is going well. What does Moshe Rabbeinu decide to do? Shlach lecha anashim. Decides he's going to send in spies. Nothing wrong. Moshe Rabbeinu knows that you can't rely on miracles. He's going to send in spies to the land of Israel to check out the terrain. Very logical, very nice. Who does he pick? Anoshim, men of renown. Doesn't pick some shmo from each tribe. He's going after the cream of the crop. Guys he could trust. What happens? We know the story. They go into the land of Israel. They come back. What do they say? We're not going. We spent 40 uh, days with you, or how long we spent with you here in the desert. Guess what? This is better than a JLI retreat. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. But the man tasted like anything. We here at the JLI retreat only had it for 97% of what it could taste like. They had the extra 3%. We're not going. Wow. What happened? How could this possibly have been? Moses taking the cream of the crop, the people that he can trust, I mean the very finest of men, sends him in for a very simple mission, just tell me the terrain. Don't tell me anything else. Just tell me how we are going to get in there. I'm not asking you for your opinion. That word FS, if you look in the, in the parts of Shlach, that word FS, but, messed everything up. One little word, but, messed everything up. So the Rebbe explains in his own admirable style, I mean, that what was the, what was the problem? The problem was that they were spending all this time in paradise. What could be better? That Maish Rabbeinu teaching them Torah, they had their Nanea covered, they had all this, the, the, the clouds of glory, they had the man that tasted like anything, their clothes grew on them and was self-cleaning, they had everything they could possibly have wanted. These people were spiritual people. Now you have to go into the land of Israel, you gotta fight, you gotta struggle, you have, you have ups and downs, vicissitudes, tsaris, competition, illness. Who wanted this? No one wanted this. Yeshua and Kalev realized that the true, true meaning of life is the struggle. But the other ten spies wanted it easy. Just like we had it here this weekend. But, ladies and gentlemen, we have to go back home. 
face our children, <laughs> our grandchildren. Baruch Hashem. Because you know what the definition of grandchildren are. It's God's gift for not killing your kids. Okay? Or in the other parlance, you know why grandparents and grandchildren get along so well? Because they share a common enemy. Right? Just know that. Okay? But the key is here that we talked about Moshe Rabbeinu. Notice something interesting in the Torah. Moshe and Aaron were both great leaders. I'm not the one that's going to decide who's greater than the other. The Torah itself, you know, you could read the Torah and you could find out yourself. But both of them were tzaddikim and both of them were shepherds. But interestingly enough, the Torah tells us that at Moses' funeral, the people wept. But at Aaron's funeral, the entire people left, wept. Why? I mean, Moses, this is my, my man, my Shabbeinu. This is the this is the person that came down with a plan and a stick and took on the greatest, strongest army with a stick and was victorious. Took him out of Egypt, got him over there. And yet Aaron exceeded him when it came to mourning because Aaron told jokes. That's why. Aaron was the peacemaker. Aaron was the guy that came to you and said, oh, no, don't worry, life is okay, you'll get over it. I mean, your son's not going to medical school. I know it's a disappointment, I know, but my sons are also not going to medical school. So don't feel so bad, you're going to be okay, you'll live through it. Moshe Rabbeinu, he was a lawgiver. He said, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, and if you don't do this, or if you do that, this is what's going to happen to you, he's got to set down. So we learned early on, early, early on, that laughter and humor and bringing joy to people is one of the most greatest mitzvahs that you can do. And I could prove it to you from the past five days. What did every single speaker, every speaker, from Rabbi Shocha to Friedman to Jacobson, both Jacobsons to Rabbi Katlarski, what did they all do in their speeches? They all told jokes. Every one of them told jokes. Now, none of them are really funny, to be honest with you. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, they, I mean, they try to tell jokes. They're not really funny guys. I mean, I know them personally. They're not funny. I mean, but, but, they, but, but they know they tell jokes for two reasons. Do you know what the two reasons are? And I'll share something with you that they will not share because I love you, not like them. I actually like you. Okay? Two reasons why speakers tell jokes. Number one is they'll reveal to you. Because jokes and humor engage the crowd. Any good teacher will know. Any good teacher will know that if you want to reach an audience, you've got to be relevant, and you've got to be up to date, and you've got to be funny, and you've got to tell stories. That's teaching in. I explained this last year at a, at a, at a talk, the difference between teaching in and teaching out. There are people that get up there, professors, and they tell you fact after fact after fact after fact after fact, and then by the time you walk out, you don't remember one fact from the other. Was it Christopher Columbus that came to America, or was it the other guy who went there? You don't know nothing. Teaching in is engaging the crowd, bringing them in. So that's why they tell jokes. But number two, and this is the secret, you know why they tell jokes? Because it gives them a rush like nothing else. When you see a crowd, and they're laughing, and they're howling, and you're standing up here, and everyone is laughing, it gives you a sudden rush. I don't know the medical. We have the doctor over here that's going to be speaking right after me. That's going to tell you the medical effects. 
you know, of it, and he's going to tell you why this rush happens, what it does to your heart, what it does to your mind, what it does to your ego. I'm not sure, you're not a psychiatrist, are you, sir? No, 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 doctor, you're not a psychiatrist, are you? What kind of a doctor are you? Did you actually go to medical school? Or are you just playing doctor like the Ben Casey? What are you doing now? Okay, all right. Are you actually a doctor? No, are you a dermatologist by any chance? Because I have a ward here I wanted to... Sh- I'm looking for... The CMA is... I'm looking for a doctor. I can't find a doctor to take a look at my rash. Maybe because where it's located, they don't want to take a look at it. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, get back to point. That's why they tell jokes. Because jokes have a tremendous effect on our personal lives. Now, I wanted to call this class, really, Thank God You're Miserable. That's what, that was my initial... And, my initial, but the leaders at JLI didn't let me do that because they didn't think that your sensibility would be hard enough to be able to take that crushing blow of saying, you know what, thank God you're miserable. But I'll tell you the honest truth, because I'm an honest guy. I need you to be miserable. Do you know why I need you to be miserable? Because what's my job? My job is a rabbi. Mike, I didn't make the cut. I didn't give my mother the nachis of having those two magical letters after his name, M.D., or Hashem, don't feel bad. My mother survived the Holocaust. She had one son. He disappointed her by becoming a rabbi. She told me, what kind of a job is that for a Jew? She couldn't imagine what, why would a guy go into becoming into the rabbinate. But still, finished. My sister, thank God, didn't disappoint her. Married a urologist. Is that really a doctor? A urologist? He says, he claims he's a doctor, but I don't know. He's just, thank God I never saw him laying down and I never want to see him laying down. All right? So she married a doctor. My mother got the doctor. Okay, fine. So what's my job? Very simple. I have, there's two parts to my job. Part number one is rabbis have to comfort the agitated. You've lost somebody. You're ill. I have to come to you and I have to comfort you. Part number two is we have to agitate the comfortable. Okay? That's part of our second mission. In our congregation, we have people that are very comfortable. They sit there during my sermons with their hands folded like this. And you know what this means when their hands are folded? That says, Rabbi, please, let us get to the Kiddush. Move faster. Come on. Speed it up, baby. Speed it up. I'm crying out. I'm talking about the the saddest things. Rabbi, move it along. Move it along. Move it along. And I don't want to get into jokes about rabbis and sermons because you've probably heard them all. And if you didn't, you can go online and hear some more. So I have to do two things. I gotta comfort the agitated, which is okay, fine, I'm willing to do that. But then you gotta agitate the comfortable. That's not so easy. You know, if people are comfortable in their lives, what are you gonna say? Sir, you're not comfortable. I know you live in a 15,000 square foot mansion on the top of Bixby Hill. I come from Long Beach, California. Bixby Hill is one of the more exclusive areas in Long Beach. It's gated, you know, gated, you know what that means? That means you don't let rabbis in. <laughs> That's what it means. I try to reach my balabat to my son. I'm here to see Mr. Schwartz. Sorry. You can't get in. He moved. Oh, did he leave a forwarding address? Yes, to everybody but you. Okay? All right? So that's it. So, you know, and then you know, you're not happy, Mr. Swart. You live in a 15,000 square foot mansion. You drive a very expensive car. You vacation all over the place around the world. You get yourself a private plane. You don't have to sit and coach like I, but you're not happy. I'm happy. Me, me, driving that 15 year old uh, car that has only like three wheels. It's a Chabad car. It starts only after the fifth try. You know, after that, I'm happy. 
You're not happy. Convince someone of that. Convince someone. He's made it. He's made it. So that's a much more difficult job. So I thank those people in my congregation who are actually miserable. All right? Because when they're miserable, oh, Rabbi, please help me, help me. Ah, oh, I know I'm employed. Thank God I have a job. But, but, ladies and gentlemen, because JLI was smart, and they knew that we're going to be departing in a few minutes, so the last words you're going to hear, besides hearing the last words before the last words, and three more speeches before you actually get into the cab that's going to take you away from here, but the last word here is I'm going to share something that's going to help your miserability. Okay? Okay? Thank God someone's miserable. You see? Right away. Usually it takes 10 more minutes to get someone crying in my congregation. This kid is a sharp kid. He starts early on. But I'll tell you the honest truth. I think the mother pinched him. She wanted out. She wanted out. So what I'm going to do for you, ladies and gentlemen, is I'm going to share a little secret with you that there is hope. That we are all going back to our challenges. We're all going back to our lives. But there's one little ingredient that you are going to have to use whether you like it or not. And that is laughter. Because laughter is not an option. It is not an option. It is an absolute necessity to laugh. We don't laugh as an adult. I've told you the statistic before. We know that there are children that laugh between three and four hundred times a day. Think about that. Children laugh between three and four hundred times a day. Adults, between eight and fifteen. That means by the time you've graduated from kindergarten till you get into medical school, you have lost, you have lost 350 times a day that you forgot to laugh. That's all I know. Thank you very much. Okay? Okay. So, what are we going to do? We're going to share with you a little secret about laughter. What can... Here's a man that laughs a lot. <laughs> Rabbi Epstein, Rabbi Epstein. Oh, can you catch him, someone? Okay. He doesn't want, he's, he's not interested. Okay. Let me count the ways of what laughter does for you. Number one, it boosts immunity. Am I right, Doc? Boosts immunity. Okay. Number two, it relaxes your muscles. Number three, it decreases pain. Number four, it adds joy and zest. Number five, it eases fear. Number six, it improves moods. Number seven, it releases stress. I feel so good. Number eight, it enhances teamwork. Number nine, it strengthens relationships. And there's many, 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 many more things that laughter can do for you. Many, many more. So today I want to concentrate on two of those issues. I want to talk about Mood improvement, and number two, I want to talk about strengthening relationships and how laughter can help you do both. The other ones I can't help you, muscle relaxation and all of these things, heart rate and all of that stuff, I'm afraid to talk about because there's actually real doctors in here that might get up and say, Rabbi, forget about it, you know. So I'm going to talk to you about things that they don't know about, right? Improving moods, strengthening relationships. And I'm going to tell you two stories that happened to me. The first one, I have to introduce you to a Hasidic concept. Some of you may have learned this in your JLI courses. Some of you, your rabbis may have, may have spoken to you about. This is the idea that in this physical world, in this world that we sit in, we have what is called nitsutsos, holy sparks that are floating around. 
and they embed themselves in physical things like food. And we, the Jewish people, and humanity in general, but we, the Jewish people, have an opportunity and a responsibility of finding those physical matters and releasing those sparks. So when you wake up in the morning and you see an apple and you grab an apple and you make a blessing and you take a bite of that apple, ladies and gentlemen, you have done a holy act. You have taken that very spark that has been hidden in that apple and you've released it to its higher source. And for that, you get a big check mark in your name up in heaven in the big book of Sefer Hazichronos, in the book of remembrances that will be opened up in a couple of weeks on Rosh Hashanah. And we have this opportunity to do this day after day after day after day, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times a day. And this is not something that is frowned upon in Hasidus. This is not something that is frowned upon in the Kabbalah. This is something that is actually encouraged that only we have this opportunity of doing this. I want you to remember this because this plays a vital part of my story. Recently, I've been on a very strict diet. Very strict diet. It's actually four months to the day. Because JLI told me they'll only pay for half of me. Alright? They couldn't afford me from last year. So they say pay for half of me. So I went on this very, very strict diet and I've lost what I think is a substantial amount of weight. Alright? How did this come about? Because I don't know about you, but I am a foodie. Huh? I love food. I think about food. I pray for food. I consume food. I eat food. I think food. As a matter of fact, I don't even see you. You all represent to me different types of foods. Okay? Some of you are a hot dog. Some of you are a hamburger. Every one of you represents a different kind of food to me. Because I don't see people. I only think food. That might have something to do with the fact that my mother was a Holocaust survivor and fed me 15, 18 times a day. Maybe that did something to me. I don't know. But if you think that I'm joking, I lived right across the street from my school. Rabbi Engel is here. I did not invite him to this class. He's not a plant here. But we grew up together and he could, he can, he can tell you that I grew up right across the street from my school. And if I was late for supper, my supper would come to me. Okay? So if I was in the backyard playing ball, and I thought of myself as Willie Mays, my favorite player growing up, and I'm back there with a cap, and I'm standing there in center field, and all of a sudden this crazy lady is running across the outfield with a salami sandwich. Ma, we're in the fourth inning here. Please, are you kidding me? No, 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 but you have to take a break, and we all had to stop because no one was going to beat my mother down. I mean, she faced Mengele, for God's sake. All right? She faced down the Nazis, and she survived. She was going to worry about 18 Jewish guys trying to play baseball. All right? So maybe that had something to do with my being a foodie. But it was about four months ago to the day, and it's Monday morning, I'm in my office, and I will be honest with you, I spend 90% of my time thinking about food, 10% of my time I do work, so it was Monday morning and I finished my 10% of my time working and I did my, I did my three calls, my two minutes of dictating to my secretary, going through every website in the Jewish world, and now I was already exhausted, so I was thinking about, right? 
I'm exhausted right now at this time. I mean, you know what it means to go through versus Nayis, Yeshiva World, COL Live, this and that, Ynet, and read the other sites, and then you have this, and I call my best friend to discuss what's going on, who's going to be the chief rabbi in Israel, as this affects me, but it doesn't matter, so now I'm exhausted. So now I'm thinking it's 9.15, I did already from 9 to 9.15, I've done some work, I'm ready for lunch. I'm ready for lunch now. So I'm thinking to myself, you know what, this is, this is, this is Monday morning, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what do we have? And I remember that my wife had bought cold cuts for Shabbos, and we didn't finish it all, thank you very much. So of course, what's going to happen is I'm going to go home at about 10.15, because I have to sit in the office for another hour, it doesn't look good for my secretary, because she thinks I actually work. So I'm going to sit in the office, twiddle around, you know, maybe call a few other friends. I call Rabbi Yengel, I call Rabbi Vogel, talk a few minutes. Rabbi Vogel calls Rabbi Yengel, Rabbi Vogel calls me back. I call Engel, Engel calls Vogel. Next thing you know, oh, by now we're all three of us are exhausted. We're going for lunch. Okay, we're going for lunch. This is a Chabad rabbi's job for the day. We're exhausted. But we've solved the world's problems. Don't worry. We've solved the world's problems. That The air is fresh. Healthcare is all set. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. So I get into the car and I'm driving home thinking to myself, you know, I have that cold cut sandwich, but I heard from a real doctor, not like the doctors that are here this weekend, from a real doctor that if you eat some fatty food or sugary food or any food that actually tastes good, any of the three main ingredients that we all need on a daily basis, fat, sugar, and salt, and the more you have it, the better you're going to feel. And the doctors will tell you the same thing, okay? So my doctor told me that if you have a Diet Coke with that meal, it halves the calories. And it balances it out. So if you're eating 3,000 calories of fatty food and you have a Diet Coke, it's only 1,500 calories. So I've lived by that model. I've lived by that model. I'll take questions later, sir. I'll take questions later. I'm on a roll. This is what's called a roll, okay? I'm telling a story. I mean, what, what, what don't you understand? Calories in, calories out. I mean, this is, this is not a real doctor I'm up here. I mean, this guy talks real science. I'm not, I mean, what's so hard to understand? I'm going to eat lunch. Is anything not understandable about this? But I have an epiphany. I have an epiphany. I'm going to make the Alter Rebbe proud today. I am going to also release the sparks of a bag of potato chips. I know that there are potato chips waiting for me whose sparks have waited a very, very long time to be released. And I am going to do that today for them. I'm a nice guy. I'm a chassid. I'm a follower of the Rebbe. A staunch learner of the Tanya. And I know what it means to release those nitzutzos. So I go pull into the nearest Vons, that's the big supermarket chain in, uh, in California, and I'm heading straight for the potato chip aisle, because those chips are waiting to be released. All of a sudden, I think to myself, one second here, let's picture this. Fat, short rabbi heading straight for the potato chip aisle. Doesn't look nice. People are going to judge me. So I decided maybe I should first make a little detour to the vegetable section. Maybe I'll buy some kale, maybe I'll buy some radishes, I had a lettuce, you know, some carrots. Brussels sprouts, things that I've never tasted in my life. You know, never had them, never will have them. But possibly I can hide the potato chips among the health food, you know. Okay. But of course God is laughing. So I reach into my pocket and I find out I only have four dollars. You know what kale costs? No wonder people are overweight. 
It's in the kale isn't so expensive. And a head of lettuce? Forget about it. So I'm not giving up my chip. So I make a beeline to the chip, to the chip line. I look around. There's no little bags. They only have the big bags. Good for me. More sparks to release. Wonderful. And I love kettle. Oh, those kettle chips, those crunchy kettle chips. I know people are nodding. They love it too. I know. I know. And the ones that are not nodding, you're in denial. You're totally in denial. You should see a psychiatrist. If you don't love kettle chips, there's something wrong with you. Your parents brought you up the wrong way. Okay? So I head to the, I head to the, to, to the potato chip aisle. I grab the kettle chips off of the, off of the stuff and I'm really embarrassed. Look this fat short rabbi walking with only a bag of potato chips. Okay? So I try to hide it behind my back and it's just, you know, and I'm walking up to the, uh, fast to the express lane. Of course, wouldn't you know it? Mrs. Steinberg is in the express lane. Ten items or less. Eighteen items I count. Eighteen items, Mrs. Steinberg. I'm very angry at you. Of course, she takes out item by item. By the way, Mrs. Steinberg is 94, by the way. So item by item by item. Of course, she has to pay by check. Uh, she doesn't have her glasses. I'm standing there, number five in line with the bag. I'm putting it under my jacket. I'm hiding it. You know. Finally, two hours later, Mrs. Steinberg actually gets through. You know, this and this. I'm getting up. To, oh, thank God. I put the bag of potato chips down on the conveyor belt. You know, it goes up there. I got my four bucks ready because I want to be out of there as quickly as possible. And, you know, as much as you can get out in the DMV. Right? You ever been to the department of motor vehicles? This is what it feels like to me today because I'm embarrassed and I've seen the chip. The ch- As Hashem is my witness, this is what happens next. I put the bag on the conveyor belt and it comes up. The girl picks up the bag of potato chips. Cashier, she looks at me. She looks at the chips. She looks at me. And this is what she says. Nice lunch, huh? All I could do is, I look up to Hashem, really? I mean, this is how you talk to me? I mean, Moses gets like a first class phone call. I, you speak through this. I take the potato chips. I walk into my car. You know, I mean, come on. What's the chances of that happening? Of course, I get into my car and the only thing I can do is burst out laughing. I literally burst out laughing. Because what could possibly have else happened to this story that Hashem is sending me a message, right? That maybe, maybe, maybe you should listen to what your scale is telling you. Because the last time I got onto the scale in my bathroom, it said, what on a time, please? Okay? You see? You see that? You're feeling much better, aren't you? You feel your muscles relaxing? You feel the tension leaving you? You see, all at my expense, but I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. You're laughing at me, but I'm willing to take it just to make you feel better. Because the Rebbe always said, love a fellow Jew. Love someone else, I'm willing to take it. 
So I should have listened to the scale. But no, so this is Hashem telling, talking to me. I get into my car, I burst out laughing, I'm feeling better. Do I give up the chips? Absolutely not. Three ninety-nine is three ninety-nine. So I go home, I have the salami, uh, I have the cold cut sandwich with the Diet Coke and the bag of chips. I should have listened to Hashem the first time. Because that night, Hashem visited me again. But not in the form of a burning bush like he did to Moshe Rabbeinu, in the form of burning heartburn. <laughs> and that heartburn is like, oh, come. It would not go away. As much as I looked at it, and much as I danced around it, and as much as I prayed, the heartburn would not go away. So I said to myself that very next morning, Dayenu, enough is enough. I gave up the chips, so I'm very irritable right now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> one false move, and I'm, I have a gun on me, by the way. Okay, so one false move that you make, and it could be, I'm very, very irritable. You know what happens when you go cold turkey on the things that you love? I mean, I quit smoking, and I used to smoke as a yeshiva bacher, but then I got into college. I became a Chabad house rabbi on campus. It wasn't that. So I went cold turkey on the cigarettes. That was nothing, nothing compared to going cold turkey on the food that you love. You know, I gave up chips. I gave up my second love, Diet Coke. I gave up anything that tastes good, I've given up. All right? All because I want to live longer to take revenge on my children. And that has become my only goal in life. I should live long enough to see my children marry. They should have children. I should go to their house. I'm leaving my underwear all over the place. My socks in my daughter's bed. I'm going to give my grandchildren candies and cookies. Every sugary thing so they should stay up way, way late at night. And I'm telling you, this has given me a new perspective on life. All because I laughed in my car that day. See, it works. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the mood was lifted. I was happy. I ate the chips. I went on a diet. And now I'll be here long enough to give my great-grandchild Tsaris. <laughs> Thank you very much. Right? Now, people say, you think I'm finished? I'm not getting off this. Once I'm here, I'm not leaving. You guys can go home. They will never give me the keynote. I beg him every year, why can't I talk where everybody is talking? What am I, less than a Friedman, less than a Jacobson? They'll never give me the keynote, so this is my keynote. <laughs> but now, I'm going to get serious. You are all ambassadors. And uh, no. people say to me, Rabbi, 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 is everything a joke to you? I say no. Not everything a joke, but a joke is everything. You know what? That makes absolutely no sense. I just made that up to sound profound. Because philosophers get respect. Humorists never get respect. You know what they say? Garbage is garbage. But the history of garbage is scholarship. Huh? See, humorist, well, he's a humorist, he tells jokes. No, but if I tell you a joke wrapped around some scientific research, oh, then he's a scholar. So I say to you, no, 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 no. Not everything is a joke, but a joke is everything. Sounds smart, you'll go home, you'll tell your friends and neighbors. Do you know what Rabbi Perlman said? Not everything is a joke, but a joke is everything. And that reminds me of a story of the great, great philosopher, world-renowned philosopher. And he was lying on his deathbed and all of his students were, were surrounding him. And they said, teacher, please, please give us one more insight into life before you go. And he, they, 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 they reach his ear down and they, and they say, and he says with his, life is like a river.
Oh, everybody around the room says, what did he say? What did he say? Life is like a river. Life is like a river. Life is like a river. It circles around and around. It snakes around the entire room till it gets to the last student. And the last student goes, why is life like a river? Oh, great question. It circles around the room. You know, everybody's asking, you know, it gets to his main student. He reaches down next to the, next to the teacher's ear and he says, teacher, master, why is life like a river? And he says, okay, it's not. <laughs> That's philosophy for you. Okay? So not only you get laughter here, you got philosophy 101. Alright? Philosophy 101. It definitely, absolutely works. Ladies and gentlemen, do I have to tell you what, what laughter can do? It's absolutely. So that, you see, everybody's mood is a little bit uplifted now. You're feeling a little better. You're less stressed. Your muscles are relaxed. Don't fall asleep. Not yet. You know, you'll be so relaxed at the end of this discussion, they're going to think that I'm going to send the doctor around with this stethoscope to see if you're actually breathing. You'll be so relaxed. Second thing I want to talk to you about, as it's getting late in the day and lunch is going to be served in about 10 minutes, and I'm not missing that, that I can guarantee you, because I made a, I made a goal. I made a goal that I'm going to eat at least 130,000 calories this weekend. I'm up. So far, I'm up to 110,000. So I need 30 more thousand calories. So I don't want you to go for the cake at lunch. Okay? Don't take the cake because that's mine, baby. And don't think because we've had this little interaction that I'm going to let you in line in front of me. Every man for himself. Okay? And that includes the ladies as well. I'm an equal opportunity, Chazer. Okay, second benefit, strengthens relationship. April of this year, Boston Marathon. I lived in Boston, probably two miles from where the Boston Marathon ended. Me and my children used to go up to the top of the roof of the Chabanas and we used to watch this race. I go on to the television, you hear this news, it's unbelievable, devastating. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked, saddened, angered, like all Americans. But I also know that my mind is, I mean, what's going on in my mind, I don't know. I mean, the demons that are running around in my mind. So I decided, you know what, I have to do something. To, to something. I have a daughter. My daughter is Chayaleya. Is my wife still here? Oh, thank God she left. Okay. Okay. So I have a daughter, Chayaleya. She's my oldest. She works for me. She's the director of our, of our Hebrew school. She's my all-around sounding board. You know, the first one, the oldest one. She's craziest. You know, all the phobies that I had from my mother, I passed on to her. So she's crazy now. So we get along, and you know, she's, I, I'm obsessed with the Holocaust. Now she's obsessed with the Holocaust. I see her doing it to her children. Okay, no, fine. So I'm sitting in the office, and I'm like really just feeling out of sorts. I call her in, and, I'm t and all of a sudden, an epiphany hits me. A brilliant idea. I say to her, Hey Leia, how many friends do you have on Facebook? No, I'm not a Facebook kind of guy. I'm still the kind of guy that writes his notes on these pieces of paper. Okay? See how advanced I am. Okay? If I lose these papers, I'm out of luck. Okay? So I'm not a Facebook type of guy. But I say to her, Hey how many friends do you have on Facebook? She says, about, about 850. I say, how many friends do I have? They forced me to get an account. I have like 250. I said, I'm challenging you right now to a Facebook match. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to overtake you. And for the next two weeks, me and Chayalei had a Facebook challenge. I finally learned how to get on Facebook. I posted some notes. And for two weeks, we jabbed between each other. You know, posts. I made some funny posts. She made some funny posts. We laughed. 
And for two weeks, me and my daughter, through the humor of this Facebook challenge, and we were close before we bonded like this, for two weeks, I have to say, where we went shopping in LA and all the friends we met and the numbers of email, uh, Facebook friends, wherever she went, she said, oh, how's it going with your dad in the Facebook challenge? How's it going with that? Now, my congregants, I just think about them. Because I have to go back to them and getting the heebie-jeebies Told me that I should let her win. Chutzpah. We coddle our children too much in this country. Let her win. I'm out to win, man. Forget it. And I won. I cheated, but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. Yes, yes, yes. I called up my friend Mark Zuckerberg, and I told Mark. Yes, I have a personal relationship with Mark. Me and Mark go back a long way. I actually gave him the idea of Facebook. You know, that was after me, Bill, and uh, Warren were just having lunch. You know, at Spago's and... Uh, I was telling Bill and Warren, you know, like, you guys, I don't know how to make money. You should follow the Chabad way. Spend much, bring in little. What do you guys know? <laughs> Warren Buffett, what do you know? You think you know how to make money? Follow the Chabad way. Spend, 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 and don't bring in any income. That's the way to make money. Okay? Hey? So I called up my friend Mark, and I had all of her friends deleted. You know, that was it, finished. She was blocked from Facebook. I ended up with 12 million friends. I stole all of them from Lady Gaga. You know, just poured them over, and I won. But for those two weeks, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, it was the greatest thing. Now, the first thing happened, first, there was many good things that happened along the way. Number one, my wife got angry at me and stopped speaking to me. Win-win situation. I had so much extra time now. I don't know what to do. When I got home at six o'clock, it's usually And now, nothing. Nothing. I had all this extra time. I learned how to play golf. Actually, actually graduated medical school, became an expert fly fisherman, something no Jew has ever done before. So they told me in Montana, at least, when I went there, was a win-win situation. But what me and my daughter had for these two weeks, just because of the humor that we're bandering around, and I tried to involve my other children in this as well, it bonded our relationship to a space that I don't think we've ever been there before. All because we used humor. Now, you could probably tell by who I am that we've always tried to laugh in our family because we can't do anything else. If I be an intellectual, I could actually pose intellectual questions to my children. Like, what is the speed of light? And why do, where do butterflies come from? No, 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 that's not what we discuss. And I want to most important thank you for coming. But the real thanks and the absolute thanks goes to one and one only, and that's the Lubavitcher Rebbe. That's the truth. Without the Rebbe and his inspiration, None of us would be here. I would not be here. My colleagues, Rabbi Engel, Rabbi Eliezri, Rabbi Vogel, in the back, some other colleagues I see, we would not be here. And by extension, JLI would not be here. Rabbi Kodlarski would not be here. So the real thanks goes to the Rebbe. The Rebbe wanted one thing. One thing and one thing only. Proud Jews. Where you are on that ladder, and you've heard a million times, a million times over this weekend, the same, the same, the same message. It doesn't matter who you are, as long as we're walking up that ladder, as long as we're making small little steps, it could have been said by Simon Jacobson, Yossi Jacobson, Rabbi Shachat, whoever said it, Manis, everyone tell you the same thing. Please, you go back to your communities, you're ambassadors now. Now you are one of those people that have heard, have absorbed, have taken, and know what it means to be a proud Jew. So what are you going to do? So for my little, little, little addition... The best way to be an ambassador, the very, very, very best way to be ambassador is to live.
When you live, when you live, that means every day when you wake up, you wake up with a smile on your face and a happy countenance, not a negativity and not sour and not dour, but you live the way you are supposed to live, the way Hashem wanted you to live, the way the Rebbe wants us to live. And by just living, not even by doing anything else, but by just living, people will be attracted to your way of life. More people have been brought closer to Yiddishkeit because of my wife's chicken soup than all of the jokes and all of the stories and all of the deep thoughts that I've said in 33 years. Because why? Because it's an experience. And when you live like that, and you have a smile on your face, and you're a happy person, and happiness is not something that's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or when I achieve something, but happiness is when you decide to be happy. And you walk around like that, people will be attracted to you. And they're going to say to themselves, what does that guy have that I don't have? What does that lady have that I don't have? And then they find out that you go Friday night to Chabad, and that you're davening together with a community, and that community counts, and that you found meaning in life, and you found love in life, and you found happiness in life. And that is the greatest testament to our Torah. We wondered what the miracle, and we heard about all the speakers of the greatest miracle that the Jewish people have lived, and Rabbi Blech spoke so beautifully yesterday about the history, and God in history, and everybody is. It's our testament that through all the struggles that we face as a nation, even though, you know, let's be honest, Israel is, yes, a powerful country, and it's a great startup nation, and the rest of the Middle East is falling apart, but yet it's a small little country. It's only six, seven million people in the country compared to the, to the Muslim world. So we, nationally, we face a challenge. Community, we face a challenge. The com- Jewish community in America is shrinking. Personally, we may face challenges. But if we can overcome that, and we can go home, on the plane, really, absorb everything we've taken and integrate it into our lives and smile a little more and laugh a little louder and be a happier and more meaningful life, then, ladies and gentlemen, every single penny that we spent coming here this weekend is well worth it. Thank you very much.